This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is J.G. Hertz, the General Martok on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 22 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 5 in our series on Cliff Bowl, where we will be looking at his fourth X-File, Jump the Shark. So now this is kind of an interesting episode in that it's almost not really an X-Files episode so much as a Lone Gunman episode. Yes. But it aired in season nine of the X-Files, which was the final season. Yep. And it was a time of resolving um, other shows, if not necessarily the show that you were watching. What do you mean? Well, you got uh, the the lone gunman here. I guess yeah. it was earlier on that they did Millennium, but that was two years earlier. Yeah, uh, but you know, the Millennium episode was two years earlier, making the Terry O'Quinn presence um, even more complicated than it already was. Mm-hmm. Um, those the X Files later on became kind of um, a weird a weird place. It was the one show standing. Yes, uh, two other Chris Carter shows had failed, and actually a third, but that one never got resolved. The harsh realm you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't necessarily part of the same continuity, right? Well, neither was Millennium. Yeah, but they they made it. It wasn't too much. Well, no, yes, it was. Millennium was part of uh, the continuity because you had Jose Chung on there. Yes, but in season one, it's very clearly not supposed to be. They establish an entirely different tone and reality. Yeah. But and in season two, the Jose Chung connection is what led to eventually making it possible but that was clearly not intended because season one of Millennium is basically all members of previous X-Files casts episodes. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. You know. yeah. Anyway, The Lone Gunman was a show about uh, some s- secondary characters from the X-Files, which were called The Lone Gunman. Do um, you want to describe who The Lone Gunman were, what their role was on The X-Files? Um, well, if instead of having a podcast, we had a newsletter, and um, one of us was Roberto Orsi, that would be the lone gunman. There you go. Uh, basically, a bunch of guys who sit around and come up with crazy conspiracy theories, and um, and and shout at the world for the world to understand that, uh, that what they're saying is probably not true, but it might be. It is kind of weird if the X Files did start up today. They totally would have been podcasters. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, but like, it, it's it's actually kind of like based or in bloggers. You know. Yeah, it's based in in the bloggers, old sort of model because they wouldn't want to the they, they they wouldn't want to reveal their identities, so they'd be bloggers, not podcasters. Sure, but yeah. there's but the, the 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 lone gunman like like concept doesn't really it's not created out of a vacuum. I mean, they, they, these people did exist. They 
they they are actually they they still exist, but um, the the newsletters and um, the, the weekly like reports are not as significant as they once were. Nowadays, um, conspiracy theorists are free to just turn on their webcams and record a crazy video and put it on YouTube. And uh, there are so many people saying so many bizarre things that no one really has to worry if they you know spill the beans about some incredibly secret thing. Oh, like oh the NSA they've got a time machine. Like probably yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we're not breaking any news here, but it's they're they're an interesting group of people. And I was um, I was a big fan of the show, the Lone Gunman series. I was really excited about because uh, this was you know the the height of the X Files popularity. Really, might have actually been towards the. Uh, where was tapering off, but uh, the lone gunmen were my favorite characters. When they showed up, I got super excited because if I was anyone on the X Files, I was one of those guys. Yeah. Well, before we get into the show, let's talk about them on the X Files. I mean, they were basically Mulder times ten, and they were the type of people. And also, who... Mulder divided by ten. <laughs> if if you if you were to. Uh, you know, think about them. It would be like it would be like Mulder if Mulder hadn't gone the professional FBI route, and instead was left to his own devices, and um, you know just went crazy with it. And and their role on the show was basically uh, someone or a group of people that Mulder went to when he needed some outside of the box help. Yes. No one took the lone gunman seriously, but he took them seriously, and he knew that there was a pretty high. Well, a pretty low signal to to noise ratio, but he knew that that they could get results, they could get things done, and that there was some sort of method to their madness. Well, I think it's it's one of those things where, like you, know, because he he was in the world, he was in the government world, and he knows that when they have information that they could not possibly have had legitimate access to, mm-hmm. then they must know things that he doesn't know. Yeah. So he would he would be drawn there because he he knows that they've got like he has blind spots that they don't have. Yeah. And the other way around too. So he he came to rely on them because they had some sort of ability that was not something he had the ability to do. He he couldn't quite wrap their, his mind around how they got information or how they investigated things. Yeah. But he respected that they were capable of it. And I mean, like, it is kind of interesting, too, like, if you look at the Silence of the Lambs and how that is sort of um, an analog for the X-Files in, in a lot of ways. Well, it was one of two main inspiration points. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, Chris Carter has not hidden this. No, no, no. He said the Silence of the Lambs meets Close Encounters. That's the show. Right. And, you know, obviously, uh, the character of Clarice is, you know, Scully Langley. and stuff like that. Oh, you think Scully? Yeah, I think so. I can so. see that. But but there is a there is that scene where she goes to the uh, the bug guys to to get some information about yeah. moths, and those two guys are very similar to the lone gunman in a lot of ways. Basically, one of them's Froakie and the other one's Langley. Yeah, there's no buyers in that room though. No, no. So, um, whenever they would show up, like you said, it was always kind of exciting because they were cool characters, but they were also, in a sense, comic relief. In a lot of ways, not in terms of their personality, but in terms of the um, the tone and the significance uh, with which they, they carried, 
it was kind of like when Q showed up on Next Generation. You were like, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to have a few laughs, and we know this guy. And you'd kind of look forward to the Lone Gunman ep- episodes in the same way that you looked forward to the Q episodes. I will say that when the Lone Gunman showed up in the X-Files movie, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of those weird moments in my life where I reacted audibly to yeah. something in a movie, and I was like, oh, it's sweet, they're in the movie. So like, you didn't know that they were in the movie? No. See, I, I knew that they were in the movie going into it, and, but and, and when I got to that scene, it was like one of those like, yay, there they are, oh, you know, but at the same time, it's like, okay, they're there for one scene, basically, so they can be like, we're in the movie, and then, you know. Yes, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter, because that movie, like, they've got to have, you know, plenty of time, they've got to drive for a humongous amount of time in that movie. So, um, after, you know, their successful appearances on The X-Files itself... They were then um, given a spinoff show called The Lone Gunman, and it aired, yeah, like you were saying, towards the end of, of the X-Files' run. And it was one of those weird things where, you know, well, you, it was, it, there's like a it, pattern which, which, which is followed when it comes to spinoffs. You know, if you take, it's usually like, you know, like a character which is popular and, and he gets his own show. Yes. And it, the, the way that these things usually so, go. Benson, right. Cheers, Frazier. And, and the way that these things usually go is it's like, okay, well, now we've got to give them a new group of people to hang out with, create new characters, and yeah. create like sort of a new dynamic for these people to fit into. Yeah. And it will take on a tone which is not necessarily the same as the one which which you usually find with these people and it's going to get canceled after a year but this is one where it's interesting in that it actually works pretty well despite not being very successful but it was uh created by chris carter to a a small extent but to a much greater extent vince gilligan frank spotnitz and and john sheban Mm -hmm. Vince Gilligan, we've talked about a lot. He would go on to create Breaking Bad. I believe this is the first show that he created, though, right? The Lone Gunman? Yes. And he uh, was also, like we said, the writer of Small Potatoes and Bad Blood. And this show was awkwardly ended, to say the least. Awkwardly ended? Awkwardly ended. Awkwardly ended is... (laughs) Is not the euphemism that I would use. It was ridiculously, horribly murdered. If if Star Trek the next, I mean, to, to keep it in, in Cliff Bowl terms, <laughs> if Star Trek the Next Generation had been canceled after season three, after season three, but then yeah. okay, but then they decided to continue the characters again in like a uh, let's say an original series show. If the original series had still been going. Or, or like several years later, like Deep Space Nine. No, 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 <laughs> because because there was the whole thing. Well, but let's let's get to this in a second. First okay. off, let's talk about the show itself and how you know it it changed and how they did add a couple of characters. You want to talk about the the two characters that were added? Now you've got the three: Eva got, Del Harlow and, and, and Jimmy. Right, you got Frohickey, Langley, and Byers. Yes, who are like three nerds of different types, but all of them. You know, running that they are the lone gunmen, and they are the ones who run this newspaper, which is sort of a uh, a conspiracy theory thing. Not sort of; it definitely is a conspiracy theory newspaper underground, and uh, they're trying to expose 
And they also, they also do cryptid investigations. Mm-hmm. They're interested in all sorts of stuff that's weird. Basically, like, they are the newsletter equivalent of the X-Files. Right. They, they will report on whatever the Mulder finds interesting. Yeah. So now in the show, they added a couple more characters. Yes. Um, Tough as nails, hot chick, possibly mercenary, possibly assassin, mm-hmm. named possibly Eva Del Harlow, whose name wasn't actually that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy named Jimmy... Who's not super bright, but very sweet and likable, and he had some money, and he and was he also sort out. of their their muscle. Sort of, he didn't really get into a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. He was kind of their muscle in the sense that he could carry heavy things for them. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they often had heavy things that needed to be carried. <laughs> so, so how do you think that the show uh, worked with with that new dynamic by adding the extra characters? Um, you know, it, it's not it's not like a sitcom where like you, it feels unbelievably forced when they introduce these characters. Like you know that these characters do require more than the three of them, and and you know that like going into the show, you're going to be seeing them doing stuff that doesn't directly involve their job and their interactions with Mulder because we always saw them through that lens. So I was I was comfortable with the idea of seeing their world and like having their world sort of expanded for us. And when they introduced Jimmy, I thought, that makes sense. They would have a friend like that. And Eve, like, having a kind of nemesis slash ally, that seemed totally reasonable. Because they'd actually kind of dealt with that concept before with the lone gunman. So, like, it all sort of felt fine. It didn't feel forced. And I was really excited by the show because it really seemed like this could go to all of the same, like, heights that the X-Files reached. But in in that like more free and comfortable place, where like they don't need to win, mm-hmm. like winning is not really the goal. If they survive, that's a win. Mulder, you know he's going to survive, and you kind of want him to get be proven right and save the day and prove that they're aliens and have his you know his his concerns and his career redeemed. But the lone gunman, you really just kind of want them to be okay. Mm-hmm. So they can they can have terribly dangerous adventures and survive and uh, be happy about it. Yeah. So it was uh, it was very promising, and apparently people don't really like low stakes drama because nobody watched it. Yeah, and and it was also very comedic in nature. You know, it was probably if if you had to classify it, I would say it was a comedy show. You know, sure. The, the tone the tone was similar to say. This might sound weird, okay, mm-hmm. but but bear with me. I would say Die Hard. Okay, fine. Yeah, like there is dire peril. There are uh-huh. dudes with guns, and they will kill these people. But they are regular people. Mm-hmm. They are not supermen, and they're kind of focused on saving their own lives and what maybe, they care about. Maybe more like Buffy. Buffy has superpowers, okay. and she deals saying. with I'm, like I'm saying, she saves the world on I'm, a regular I'm basis. Talking, I'm talking about in terms of like comedic tone, you know. I think Die Hard's actually pretty close. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, um, I don't know. To to me, like it's it's this weird thing where like I don't think that there was anything wrong with the new dynamic. It was just like you you have an idea of the type of show that this is going to be because they say there's going to be a lone gunman spinoff. And it's like, well, that writes itself in a sense. And it doesn't really write itself. You know, you do need to kind of have a thing because one of the things that, that works about the lone gunman is their interaction with 
Mulder and Scully. And if you don't have a Mulder and Scully, you know, I mean, that's kind of like what I, I got excited about when I first heard about the show. It's like, oh, you get to see the lone gunman where they're the stars. But you Which do... Which they've kind of done in a few episodes. Yeah, but you do need to have them have someone to talk to. You need to have some sort of outside influence. And that's what, you know, these two extra characters kind of did. And so I totally see why they did it. And, you know, it, it, it was essentially necessary for them to do that. But when they first did it, I was kind of like, ah, it's kind of like, actually, you know, if you think about like the practice and how, you know, you have James Spader and then, you know, introducing William Shatner's character and you have like a very, uh, specific dynamic when you see them in the practice and then they go to Boston legal and it's like, Whoa, now this has completely changed. It's the same characters, but in a different dynamic and it takes a minute to get used to. Not that the new dynamic is bad or or anything like that. It's just different. And that's what this was. It was different. So, well, I mean, like in a sense, yeah, but like they, they'd already had like episodes to themselves I guess so, but and dealt with similar sort of things. Like, I mean, to me, the the, the spinoff contrivances in Lone Gunman mm-hmm. were were much more tolerable than almost all spinoff contrivances. I mean, it, yeah, that could be, that could be. I mean, like but... for one thing, they'd had episodes like some of their standalone episodes where they were like the main characters. Mm-hmm. Like, if they had suddenly spun off the show from those. Yeah, I would have thought. Okay, I guessed that because it was kind of obvious. There's the one where they're at like the security convention, uh-huh. and like that. Like if they had spun off from that, it would have felt like I know why you're doing this episode. You are setting up a spinoff. It's kind of phony. There's a Gilmore Girls where they do this, and it's like you can see this contrivance from space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so obvious. But, Assignment Earth. Yeah, that's that's not that's that's the worst offender yeah. of all spinoff contrivances. Yeah. But like they they were they felt they felt like they could handle a spinoff. Mm-hmm. Their world seemed believable. Yeah. But like uh, their world is also very weird, and TV rules made it difficult for them to have a spinoff. Yeah. So, getting to the well, I guess there's one other thing that we should note about this is their Cancer Man, for lack of a better analogy, was essentially um, a character played by. Michael McKean. Right. Yes. By, by a of, member of Spinal Tap. Yeah. Of Spinal Tap fame. And um, he was sort of their arch nemesis. He was a, a government agent of some sort. He was a man in black. Yes. He was a man in black. Which, and it's not like he was, he came out of nowhere. He was, a, he was a villain on the main X-Files show. He switched bodies with Mulder at one point. Okay. Yeah. So he, he, he was introduced on the X-Files and then became... A a villain on the Lone Gunman, but he was very. It was a comedic type of villain. Yes, he is the reason Mulder has a waterbed that he doesn't remember buying. Yes, which is a great thread. That it's an amazing thread <laughs> that they don't they don't ever really explain why Mulder isn't freaked out by suddenly having a waterbed that he did not buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the type of show the X Files was. It was a weird show. So he traveled with the lone gunman onto their show and became their sort of main villain. And the lone gunman ended on a cliffhanger. Yes. But it gets weirder than that because for those people who haven't seen it, and I did a thing just like I I made my wife do with, with Star Trek when I did my rewatch or first full watch of the X-Files when they were on DVD, 
I hadn't seen The Lone Gunman all the way through either, so I did yep. what, you know, you should do as a as a nerd. As a decent human being and an and, and American. And I watched The Lone Gunman and The X-Files and Millennium, too, by the way, all in chronological order. So, like, I would literally, like, jump from one series to the next and try to follow along as uh, as they went in in terms of air dates, you know, you must have loved laser discs. Getting the chance to take discs out and replace them with other discs <laughs> on a regular basis, yeah, it sounds like fun. You know, except uh, for all of the things involved. No, it's it's nice to kind of like break up the monotony of watching one series and and sort of change gears from from week to week, but or from episode to episode. I don't know, man. I I, I mean, but I, I love I love having a show where it's just on the background. Netflix is amazing. But but in doing this, you know, kind of like the 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 interesting thing which which you see is, you know, X Files ends on a cliffhanger in this season. And the Lone Gunman ends on a cliffhanger, and then there are no more Lone Gunman episodes. And kind of yeah. the, like the the, uh, the the sort of big thing that I remember is is it Langley? I always get their names confused. The guy, with the, guy is, with the long hair. Yeah, the punk rock guy. Yeah. Okay, so Langley has like a, a, a like some some form of like blue paint explodes in his face right a dye pack a dye pack explodes in his face and his face is completely blue yes at the end of uh the lone gunman and it ends on a cliffhanger along with the x-files so when the x-files starts back up the next season they're resolving what happened last season on the x-files and then the lone gunman show up literally i think at scully's door or someone's door yes and the door? I actually do believe it is. I, I do believe it is Scully's door. Okay, so 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 they, she opens up the door, and there's Langley, and his face is blue, and she's like, "What happened to you guys?" And they said, "You know what? Just drop it. Yeah. Just don't ask. It's it's a long story. It's not worth getting into." And then it is worth getting into. <laughs> well, but but they didn't get into it, and you know they they uh, they concluded the X-Files story um, with the Lone Gunman, and the only sort of explanation for anything with the Lone Gunman finale is his face is blue. So something happened, and they don't want to talk about it. Yes. It was a nice, cute way of sort of saying, of acknowledging the fact that the Lone Gunman had been canceled and, and not resolved, but not resolving it themselves. Yeah. So because of that, you know, there was no resolution to the Lone Gunman. So when it came time for the X-Files to wrap up, and they knew that this was going to be their last shot at certain things, they decided to take an episode to wrap up the Lone Gunman as well. Yeah. Which leads to this week's episode. (laughs) Uh, That's the longest introduction we've ever had to uh, one of our topics, but whatever. Okay. Jump the Shark. Jump the Shark, the final X-Files episode directed by Cliff Bull, it is essentially designed to be a finale to The Lone Gunman. That's what it is. It happened like a year later, whatever. They brought back uh, the two characters who they had created in um, The Lone Gunman. They brought back Michael McKean as, you know, sort of like the big baddie. And they do their best to resolve the lone gunman 
as a series. Yeah, and unfortunately, despite it being early 2002, at no point do the lone gunmen say, remember that 9-11 thing? <laughs> that basically almost happened like a year earlier. Yeah, well, at that point, I think they were just like, we cannot even bring that up because it's just too freaky. I mean, there was some talk of them not even releasing that episode on, on DVD at that point in time just because it was so, the parallels were... So unintentionally bizarre. The, the the plot of the pilot for the Lone Gunman, what which you know, aired a few months before nine eleven, was uh, strangely close to what actually happened. Yeah, it's but I mean like it's it's sort of the thing you know if 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 you were if you were a terrorist sitting around thinking about what would be the most freaky thing to do that would make people really panic. Like you'd probably come up with the same stuff that like a Hollywood producer would come up with. Yeah, because you know visuals. Yeah. Spectacle. Mm -hmm. Explosions. It's the same. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. So anyway, um, this episode, Jump Jump the Shark, written by Gilligan, Sheban, and Spotnitz, the creators of uh, The Lone Gunman. And it plays very much like an episode of The Lone Gunman, so much so that Mulder wasn't on the show at this point in time, really. Okay. And Scully was on it. But she doesn't show up until the last scene. Doggett and Reyes are on the show, but they are basically secondary characters. This is all the lone gunman. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mulder actually does reappear on the series. Sure. He comes back. At you know, the very but, end. But he, he wasn't on the show at this point in time. Yes. He was only on like a few episodes a season. And... um. Scully, I don't know why she wasn't really in this episode in particular, uh, but she doesn't show up until the end. So, what did you think about? Well, well, I mean, let's let's just kind of, yeah. Eva Del Harlow is going around killing people and taking things out of their bodies because she thinks there's something bad in there, and there is a rumor going around that she's a murderer and a super soldier who's been recruited by the bad guys in the series at this point, who have a large overarching presence in the mythology. They believe that she might be good and they might, and she might be bad. So they investigate what's happening. And Jimmy's been spending all of their money trying to find her over the course of this pissed interval after the end of the series in this episode. Uh, and he has failed. But he did actually manage to find out her real name, which they had not figured out at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy from Spinal Tap shows up and says her real name, making it seem like maybe Jimmy spent a lot of money to getting nothing that he could have just gone up and asked that guy from Spinal Tap about. But uh, uh, it turns out that she's trying to stop some terrorists from releasing a essentially a, an organically uh, – no, 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 an artificially engineered um, virus uh, into an area. Or is it a, or is it a big team? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's a plague thing and, and uh, they're going to they're gonna release it and it's in their bodies. So she's got to actually kill them and remove it and destroy it without uh, releasing it, which is super complicated. And uh, they don't succeed very much. They kind of succeed in not getting a bunch of people killed. But the lone gunman die. The, the, well, there, there's a, I mean, it's a finale to the lone gunman in the sense that, you know, it kind of, whereas they had been the comic relief, and the, there definitely was sort of a sense that they were doing good, but at the same time, they might be, they might have, may, have, may have been misguided in a sense, you know, the, the lone gunman at times, but they were always sort of like trying to do the right thing. Here, here is a case, a clear cut case of them actually, um, saving the day, saving millions of lives, but in the same way, doing so in a way thousands, that was probably. okay, thousands of lives. Yes. But, but doing so in a way that in a very lone gunman fashion 
no one sort of knew what it was they were doing and no one knew their contribution to the world in yeah. a sense. And um they live they lived in obscurity. Right. And died in obscurity. And and it is kind of a, a very sort of a poignant moment. At the time, you know, I was sort of like one of the people who you know, it sounds like you were and I know our friend Josh was and everything like that where it's like you killed a lone gunman? Why would you do that? That's so stupid. And and the the idea behind the the name of the episode, I think, is is very telling. But we'll get into that in a second. But you know, I, I was very anti them killing the lone gunman, and um, now I see the, the reason why. Watching it again, it's like you give them that moment. You give the lone gunman that moment where, by killing them, yes, we don't have any lone gunman anymore, but. What you do is you elevate them to another level, and it's sort of like that that uh, that thing where there's a scene with with Scully and uh, Skinner at the end. The Arlington Memorial Cemetery, right? And you know, Doggett says, "Boy, Skinner, you must have really pulled some strings to to get them in here." And he's like, "Oh, that's the least I could do," you know. Yeah. And it, it's finally these guys are getting their their do you you see that they are for real and and that they they do do a, a good thing and they are finally getting this recognition and i think by killing them it gives them their recognition you know you you end on a serious moment and by doing that you show what their contribution to the series on the whole actually has been in addition to their characters in this in this world and i mean this you know the x-files was getting canceled they knew that there weren't going to be many more opportunities for them to do lone gunman stories and you might as well have them go out in the best possible way so i'm okay with that now i yes i uh, there's plenty about the the episode that i think is Perfectly reasonable. My my only problem is that it feels forced. You think so? Because I mean, I, I really don't think that it does. Watching it again, I'm like, this is actually works re- extremely well. Here's the thing: there's a point where like they they're they're faced with the decision. You know, they're in the room. The guy's about to burst and release the plague and kill a bunch of people, and one of them says, "Whatever it takes." Mm-hmm. And the other one goes, "Yes, whatever it takes." And apparently, it takes three people to press a button. I mean, to me, like, the the way, because I kind of, like, thought about that and everything, and it's like, if they start bolting for the door, the guy's going to know, and that's sort of like them. What's he going to do? You know, well, he might make it, just like they might make it. Yeah. So, so you know, they pull the fire alarm, it mm-hmm. closes the blast doors, and seals them all in. They have their little um, Wrath of Khan moment with their hands on the glass. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, yeah. it, it it's a nice moment. Here's the thing: it's not a nice moment. Okay. If you've if you've ever thought about this, consider like what was happening after they cut. Like there was a point where those three guys, who we care a great deal about, were sitting on the ground, feeling their body dissolve. Mm-hmm. They were dying horribly, grotesque deaths, and yeah. they knew what was happening. Yeah, that is not a nice way to go. That does not elevate them. That makes their death horrifying. No, I mean, their death is horrifying, but I mean, what? But the moment, the nobility of of their action, yep. is what you see, and that's what matters I, uh, for me. It's it's nobility is one thing, but um, they died a really gross, hor- horrifying death. Sure, and I that that's what upsets me. If they had just been blown up, 
it would, it would be a whole different story. <laughs> if they had just been blown up, it would have been different. The problem is that it, they didn't die where we saw them die. Now, the title, I think we, we need to talk about, which I think is is very uh, cute and clever and whatever. Now, there is uh, stuff in there about a scientist who's using shark uh, cartilage or whatever to encase this thing and do whatever. Which I've been, I've been curious about since this episode aired, if that came first. I don't know whether or not it came first, but, you know, clearly what they were doing by calling this uh, episode Jump the Shark was they were saying the X-Files is going to suck now that the lone gunmen aren't in it anymore. Yeah. But on the plus side, like for like what, four weeks? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Because this was right at the tail end of the show. Yeah. But I I thought that that was a a cool, nice referential thing, self-referential thing. And uh, sort of very in keeping with the lone gunman in terms of spirit. And, yes. And the X-Files in terms of spirit. So they called it Jump the Shark, which I thought was great. And now in terms of this being a Cliff Bowl episode, uh, it is interesting in that it's not really an X-Files episode like we were saying. It was a, uh, a, a lone gunman episode. And even though Bowl had directed episodes of Millennium and Harsh Realm... I don't think he ever did a Lone Gunman episode. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. But... Well, I mean, you know, it was there and gone. Yeah. But it was it was a comedic uh, episode to some extent, although it did have uh, much more serious undertones than, than the previous comedic episodes that Bowl did. But it was also a Gilligan script. And... Uh, like, I can go dark, man. Yeah. So, so what did you think about Bowl's contribution to... Jump the shark. Well, I mean, generally speaking, the um, the one thing that like I can say about Cliff Bowles' involvement in, in X Files is that he seemed to have a handle on the more really the really abstract nebulous qualities. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't know how to describe the difference between the Lone Gunman and the X Files, like with a great deal of coherence. It would get real fuzzy. But he seemed to know what those things were on some sort of real, concrete, definitive, quantifiable level. Yeah. Which uh, is pretty darn impressive. Because this manages to be both an X-Files episode and a Lone Gunman episode. Yeah. And those were not the same rhythms. But he found, like, the common thread, which to me is like, I mean, it's it, it's basically magic. You know, he, he found a, a beat that worked for both genres that's mm-hmm. a beat that makes it a reggae song and a blues song i don't understand yeah i don't know how he did that yeah I, I think he did a good job of sort of reconciling the two and when i was re-watching it i i thought like oh yeah well because i knew that he had done the other chris carter shows and i'm like well he must have done a bunch of lone gunman episodes it only makes sense that they were like oh this guy's good with you know small potatoes and bad blood let's bring him on to you know, Lone Gunman, and, and then, you know, you bring him on for this because, of course, it's a perfect, you know, fusion of, of those worlds, and he's the perfect guy to do that. And then looking back at his filmography and seeing that he didn't do any Lone Gunman, I was like, wow, that's actually kind of surprising. And yet he did a really good job with this. The the constant thing with with analyzing, like, how his, how, how he was involved in these things is I, I don't understand how they knew. Mm-hmm. That he could do it, yeah. Because he does not; he did not have like a, a catalog that made a lot of sense in that context. But he did seem to know how to do these things very well. Yeah, and he did he did a good job here too. It was funny, um, in all the right places, and yet very poignant when it needed to be. Uh, there's like this one scene where, uh, you know, towards the end, 
where they sort of realize that the lone gunman as a concept is coming to an end and it's time to let it go one way or another. And that moment between Frohickey and Byers, I think, is kind of beautiful in a sense. And he does a really good job at handling that. So, yeah, on the whole, any uh, final thoughts on the episode? Are you a fan? Not a fan? Um, I, you know, I, 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 have, I have mixed feelings about the episode. Generally speaking, I think that it's, um, it's very well made. I, I, I do still have a problem with the, the concept of their deaths being um, somehow acceptable. I, I don't know why, but like people, you seem to think that it's noble to die like that. And I think, like, mm, it probably is. It's also really, really, really messed up. I mean, it can be both, but yeah. Yeah. It, the, the, I, the idea that even that they knew that that was going to be the way that they were going to die and they were willing to sacrifice themselves the problem for what is, they believed in. The problem is that now that, that episode is not fun for me. When oh. I first watched it, I thought that was kind of entertaining. And, and when they died, I was like, wow, they really died in a horrible, horrible way. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it a second time, I just thought, like, stop making this funny. Yeah. I know where this is going. Well, perhaps, but I think the way that they were able to balance that and and make it fun while you know make it true to the lone gunman in spirit, uh, while also giving them you know a proper send off in a very sort of um, unlone gunman like fashion. I feel that a proper send off would have been, you know, being proven right. But they were. Being in the court of public opinion, having people go like, wow, those guys really called it. That's what I wanted to see. <laughs> see, that that to me like is is kind of um, – that wouldn't be very lone gunman-like. The lone gunman-like is doing what you know is the right thing despite the fact that you realize no one will ever appreciate you. And yep. that's what they did. And they did something which was very much the right thing and they made the ultimate sacrifice uh, – Despite the fact that no one ever knew about it, they s- remained anonymous, and and that I thought was really cool. There's plenty about that. You're saying what you're saying is true. It's absolutely true. But that's really messed up way to die. <laughs> it's, it's the way it works. But I think maybe you're caught up on that a little too much. But I'm caught up on the way that they died. Yeah. The the horrifying way that they died. If you actually saw it happen, you'd be scarred for life. Mm-hmm. Because the imagery alone would be too horrifying to have in your head. Yeah. Such as life and death with the lone gunman. Yeah. So it's it's a dark it's a dark world out there. Yeah. But I do I do like the episode quite a bit. Um and I like it I think more now than definitely more now than when I initially saw it. So because there's also this thing which goes on with the X Files where you're like, They killed them? They're really dead? No. No, they're not dead because, you know but now that the show's <laughs> over with you'd be like okay yeah they are really dead okay so now now i can i can take this at face value and be like there yeah. there was a part when the when the when the new movie the the, the latter movie i uh-huh. want to believe came out yeah uh, I, I was like i like went I, I saw it and i was like oh yeah the lone gunman will never show up yeah because the lone gunman died because one of them pulled a fire alarm at a security wait a minute this is <laughs> Really? That actually how they died? After several years of not thinking about it, it, it popped back into my head, and I was like, "No, that's ridiculous." Yeah, because no. a man had shark goo in his chest filled with virus, mm-hmm. so they had to all three die because of the, the the smoke alarm. Ridiculous. But <laughs> anyway, I do like the episode. So, all right. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> 
Well, it's been fun talking about Jump the Shark this week, but that's not the only thing we're talking about on Trek.fm, so here's a, a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Where no man has gone before, comic versus episode. They talk about how we just picked up this psychiatrist from uh, from Alderbon. Alder... Shoot. Alderon. This is called Alderon. Earl Grey. All good things. In a universe where Troy is dead, the Enterprise D lives on. That's all <laughs> I want to say. It's the only thing that matters. The Ready Room. Simple Defense. Ducat recorded messages, obviously, for a lot of different um, scenarios. Isn't it funny <laughs> to think of him, like, you know, whatever, 10 years before this episode, yeah. like, you know, putting a day aside. It's like, I have to do, I have to sit in front of a camera <laughs> all, and just think of ways they could screw us. The orb. Till death do us part. His are, are, are very quizzical in nature. They, they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept, okay, where what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, she, right. She, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! Voyager Season 4 Marathon. I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. <laughs> like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Organians on Enterprise. Part of what this episode of Enterprise is about for me is it's the search for the Organian society to to find compassion again. Commentary, Trek stars. Cliff Bull and the X-Files, Bad Blood. It's actually kind of odd because the audience can piece together the narrative flow better than, you know, their boss. That's because their boss didn't have the uh, brilliant direction of Cliff Bull to uh, observe. Literary Treks. Greg Cox, No Time Like the Past. The one thing I had to be very careful of, and this was another sort of potential minefield that I had to navigate, was nobody in Kirk's time knows who the Borg are. So she can't like, oh, hi, I'm Seven of Nine. I'm a former Borg. You know, they don't know the Borg. She has to be careful not to tell them the Borg. And introducing Continuing Mission, our newest show all about fan series and independent productions. Star Trek continues with Doug Drexler. Everybody who does a Star Trek show in CG, the first thing they do is make the ship 947 feet long. Well, there's no way it's going to look the same because the ship that they shot on television wasn't 2,000 feet long. It was 11 feet long. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day. And you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Also, audible.com is a uh, is a sponsor of our show. Yes. Now, you know, the Lone Gunman, obviously they get their name from uh, the, the JFK assassination and the idea of there being a lone gunman, or maybe not. Well, it's a joke. Right. He, JFK was killed by a lone gunman, and their theory that he was killed by more than one person. Right. Obviously, they had to have all been lone gunmen. Right. And, you know, Stephen King, he wrote, 
an episode of the X-Files. At least one. Was it two? Just one. Um, yes. He, he wrote a creepy doll episode. Yes. And you know, Stephen King recently wrote a novel about the JFK assassination called 112263. Yeah. Conspiracy. Mm. Yeah. Conspiracy to uh, make people believe that he actually retired at some point. <laughs> also conspiracy. We've got the lone gunman connection and the Stephen King connection, X-Files connection. Whatever. Anyway. We all know what really happened on that day. The smoking man shot JFK from a sewer. Yep. Regardless, you can get 112263 on audible.com for free since you're a listener to Trek.fm. Here's a a description of the the book. Uh, On November 22nd, 1963, three shots rang out in Dallas. President Kennedy died and the whole world changed. What if you could change it back? In this brilliantly conceived tour de force, Stephen King, who has absorbed the social, political, and popular culture of his generation more imaginatively and thoroughly than any other writer, takes listeners on an incredible journey into the past and the possibility of altering it. So you can get this book, the unabridged book, 30 hours and 44 minutes of Stephen King, narrated by Craig Wasson, for free on audible.com audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for audible is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers audible has something for everyone as a trek.fm listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great audible is So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and trek.fm. As always, you can find us here on Trek.fm doing this show, or you can also find me on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit with Drew. And you can find both of us on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do our other show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, with our friend Brandon. Or you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. We're going to have to just start saying one place, because that's too long a list. Okay. Well, that's it for the episodes that Cliff Bull has directed of The X-Files. Next week, we will finish up our series on Cliff Bull by recapping those episodes in a nice recap. It'll just be fun. 